0: Have if you ever had a life-changing experience? I was trying to think of what a good example of one would be and the best one I could come up with was getting the phone call to say that you'd won millions of dollars in the lottery. Imagine that. What a life-changing experience that would be. All of a sudden in one phone call your worries are gone. Your future is secure. You'd feel like you had Uh, The ability to do the things you'd always wanted to do. Your your stress levels would go down. How marvellous it must be to suddenly come into all that wealth. Well, what we're looking at today is the encountering of God's (laughs) salvation which is also life-changing and, in fact, much more profoundly so than even a phone call saying you've just won the lottery. And the encounter of God's salvation, that life-changing encounter, what we'll see is available to everyone through this servant that God promised in Isaiah. And we're going to take a look at that more in a moment. But first, for those... Uh, new or visiting or who uh, haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, We're in the middle, well, we're towards the end, actually. We've got one week to go of a a six-week series where we're doing an overview of the book of Isaiah. It's a book in the Old Testament, and it's a really important book uh, because it helps us uh, think about the promised salvation of God in Jesus. It's remarkable because it was written some 750-ish years before Jesus which is especially remarkable in light of things like the reading that Claire just read for us this morning and what we know as we've seen so far is that in this book God through the prophet Isaiah is announcing his judgment on the people of God for their sin. They have failed to be the people they have been called to be. They've failed to follow God and uh, they've failed to turn back to God after multiple other prophets have come and warned. And so now Isaiah gets to come and say, bad luck, it's all over. You're going to get exiled. You're going to get taken from the land God gave you into a foreign land and you're going to be ruled by foreign kings and there's going to be pressure to worship foreign gods. And yet, in the midst of Isaiah's announcement of this judgment of God, he litters a story of hope. God is not done with them. In fact, he is going to restore them. After they have been in exile for a while, God will judge those nations that uh, uh, caused them harm when they came through and brought them into exile uh, and they there will be a, a return to the Lord somehow. And what Isaiah begins to unpack in the second half of the book is just how it is that God's gift of restoration comes, a restoration that is pictured uh, as we saw last week, as as reviving water that brings life and salvation to those who have faith in God. And what we also began to see last week, but see uh, more fully now in this next section of the book, up to chapter uh, the end of chapter fifty five, is that God's gift of restoration and salvation is going to come to the people through. A servant. We heard of this servant last week. If you've got uh, the Bibles there, you flick them open to Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This saviour that God's gonna send to bring his people back to him is the promised savior of nations chosen by God to establish justice on the earth. And this servant gets referenced again and again throughout Isaiah in four places. If you wanna get theologically nerdy uh, and wow someone at a dinner party, you can say there are four servant songs in Isaiah. That's the first one, chapter 42. Uh, Isaiah talks about the servant again in chapter 49 verses 1 to 6 listen to me you islands hear this you distant nations before I was born the Lord called me from my mother's womb he has spoken my name he made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand he hid me he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent all my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Again, we see this saviour is established by God, empowered by God uh, to bring salvation, not just to God's people in Israel, but to the Gentiles, that is to all the nations through, through to the ends of Of the earth to bring God's people back and to make them shine brightly we hear about the servant again in chapter 50 and this time we hear that the servant is going to be uh, unique in that he will be like the true Israel who is able to be faithful to God unlike the people of God they're going off to judgment and exile because of their faithlessness The servant will be faithful, and so God will vindicate him. Chapter 50, verse 4, The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary, He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint and I know therefore have I set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame he who vindicates me is near who then will bring charges against me let us face each other who is my accuser let him confront me it is the sovereign lord who helps me who will condemn me they will wear out like a garment the moss will eat them up he's been chosen by god by being faithful to god and god will vindicate him in his mission But all is not as it might seem. Because I think at this point we might assume, well, this servant sounds like a pretty important person, pretty significant person, someone we should pay attention to, someone who will be kind of obvious, perhaps some sort of king, maybe like Hezekiah part two, the the, the one who will... uh, do good and be faithful, but then not fail. But he'll re-establish some sort of uh, uh, nation Israel for us uh, to worship God back in the promised land together. Is that the kind of servant we're looking for, a strong and robust king to bring salvation to all? Well, that's what our reading today is about, the final servant song starting uh, in chapter 52 and uh, going through all throughout chapter fifty-three, as we heard Claire read to us, the servant won't be strong and powerful by worldly worldly standards, but rather will be shunned and rejected by the world. But he will stay faithful through that rejection and judgment, and in doing so, bear the sins of the world on himself through his suffering. God will lead him to victory. That's unexpected. I mean, it's not unexpected for us because we live this side of the cross and we kind of get what's going on here. But you've got to imagine this is 750 years before Jesus, right? This is surprising. It's, it's so surprising that even when Jesus comes, people don't see what's in front of them because they're so still so They've got their minds set around a a big, powerful, important king being the Messiah. They've got worldly expectations rather than God's expectations. But what God is telling his people is that after exile, he's going to bring salvation to all people through a servant who's not going to be the kind of saviour the world expects, He's going to be a saviour who is obedient to God, who's completely faithful to God, who is not strong in a worldly sense, but is meek and mild and will suffer for the people so that they don't have to. Who will pay the price for their sins so that they don't have to. And this servant will restore God's people, will deliver them from their distress, and will by bringing this salvation born in his own suffering and what we actually see if we look a little deeper is the idea here of what we call substitutionary atonement you add that phrase in after you've uh, chucked in the four servant songs of Isaiah and you're really going to have a great theological dinner party Substitutionary atonement. That is the idea that someone else can stand in and pay the price for the sins of others. It's a substitution and it's an atonement to pay the price for sin. The servant stands in where God's people cannot. You see, even the exile doesn't really pay for their sins. They're still... Outside God's grace and favour. They need something else. They need someone else to come and atone for them. And that's what this servant does in his life. We see it, don't we? Let me just read to you a few parts of Isaiah chapter 53. Of us all we were far off but God sent his servant to pay the price for us and that price is the ultimate price he pays the ultimate sacrifice for the servant is a willing servant willing to die verse 7 Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, an innocent death for the sake of others, but not a futile death, for his death is a sin offering. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It's not a death in vain, for God vindicates him and restores him. And through his death, the wrath of God is satisfied. Chapter 53, verse 11 And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. God's servant, through faithful obedience, enables God's sovereign plan to bring the people of God back from exile, that is, back from a state of being separated from God, to relationship be with god again and as the servant does this f- for god's people so he does it for all people who look with the eyes of faith so that's what the servant does that's how god's going to bring about his promised hope to the people of god who are facing judgment in the book of isaiah the question is who Is this servant? Now, would you believe there's debate about this? Lots of it. Who is this servant Isaiah is referring to? Could it be a historical figure from Old Testament times? Some say maybe. It's a reference to Cyrus who was the king of Persia who crushed the Babylonians and uh, released some of God's people from exile and sent them back to Jerusalem. But he was a pretty powerful dude. It doesn't quite fit the bill to to my mind. Some say perhaps this servant in uh, Isaiah's uh, want for metaphorical poetry is, is actually just a way for Isaiah to refer to all of Israel coming back from exile as a fa- and, and now they come back as faithful servants to the promised land. Well again, that doesn't really work either as far as I can see because they never really come back as faithful as they might think they are. And of course by the time we get to the first century they've been captured they might not have been exiled but they're certainly not living under god's rule anymore which leaves i think one more answer jesus and i would argue as i did when i took isaiah at uh, theological college Whenever that was 15 years ago. It's so obvious, it just makes sense. It's like, why did the scholars even need to write the books? I don't know how many times you've read Isaiah 53 and just think, there's no other choice. It's amazing that something written some 700 years before Jesus could describe his ministry so perfectly. (laughs) There's one Old Testament scholar named Christopher Wright, who I think, did you meet him? No. Ah, there you go. N.T. Wright, wrong Wright. They're not brothers either. But anyway, there we go. Christopher Wright, he says, here is the Calvary of the Old Testament. And as Isaiah 53 speaks of the cross, it shows us that the cross of the servant of the Messiah, is the gateway not only to life, but to living, living in God's blessing, living in God's kingdom, living with God as our ruler and our king. So we know what the servant does. We know who the servant is. So what? How should we respond to the ministry of this servant this servant we know to be Jesus who came to live and to die so that we could be restored to right relationship with God well Isaiah is helpful here too because Isaiah encourages the people in light of the Work of the servant to turn back to God. Having experienced God's judgment in exile and desperately hoping for God to do something about their situation, he says, Turn back to God. He invites them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Chapter 55 Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Seek the, verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Given God's sent his son to be his servant to bring us back to him come to God encounter him experience him and turn from sin to salvation And, and that's our invitation too. it remains the same to come to God through Jesus And I think it's really important that we we take the invitation seriously. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, come by and eat. He doesn't say, sort yourself out and drink. He says, come and drink. The message of the gospel, the good news of the Christian faith, is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you find yourself sitting at home on your couch watching YouTube this morning or in this church building and you're completely broken and destitute, you know you've totally stuffed everything up, you can come and drink. You can experience God's blessing. It is unmerited favour because of the substitutionary work of the servant of Jesus for you. And then when you experience God's love and his mercy and his favour as the waters fill your soul and refresh your heart, you will turn from your sin. Going back to my uh, lotto analogy at the start of this sermon, if you can remember it that far ago, There's so many stories out there of people who win the lotto and things go badly for them because they experience wealth and they don't change their behaviours that may have led them into financial trouble in the first place and so they squander it all. God's invitation to all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we find ourselves today, is to come to him, experience his love and blessing and be changed by that and to allow him to change us and in his strength and having experienced his love and mercy, turning from our sin, repenting, And experiencing the salvation offered to us through faith in Jesus. So let me again invite you to come to Jesus. Come and experience his love. Come and experience his refreshing. No matter if you're poor, broke, thirsty, hungry. You think you've made a total mess of your life to date. God's arms are open for you today. Come. Come to the waters and drink. It is without cost for you, but with great cost, God has bought your salvation through his son, Jesus. Come. Experience his love today. Amen.